Thank you for downloading the In-Ear Entertainment up-and-coming podcast. For more podcasts and some brilliant audiobooks, go to www.inearentertainment.com. Hello everyone and welcome to In-Ear Entertainment's Up and Coming Interview Podcast. I am Mark Chatterley, as always, you're stuck with me, I know, but I am joined by a wonderful author that I've had the pleasure of working with um, called Mercedes Yardley. She is based, yeah, there she is, and and we're doing this as a video interview as well, I should say, so if you're listening to the audio of this, there is a video you can hunt out on our YouTube channel. Mercedes is based in Las Vegas in America, which already makes her amazingly exotic in my eyes, coming from a cold, <laughs> rainy place in England. Um, and, and yes, how are you today? Good, really good. I'm jealous of your cold and rainy. <laughs> <laughs> you, it, it gets boring after a while. It really no, does. No, I don't think it was. <laughs> <laughs> just the two extremes I quite like between us at the moment. It's lovely. <laughs> So um, I've, I've had the pleasure of working with you um, in the horror anthology that Inia put together, um, Exquisite Death, which um, actually is, the title of it is based upon the title of one of the short stories that you had in there, um, called <laughs> yeah. Exquisite Beauty of Death, and yeah. you had another story in there called Ray the Vampire, um, and they both, I suppose, they, they definitely had a, a style, you've definitely got a style, or at least those two short stories definitely had a very set style to them. And I wondered if I could start this off by asking, how would you describe that style yourself? Um, I usually describe it as whimsical horror. <laughs> okay. Because it's dark and there's darkness to it, but it's, it's light. And I like the language, especially in The Exquisite Beauty of Death, there's more an ephemeral feel and Ray the Vampire is a little more, a little bit more swagger. But yeah, whimsical horror, it comes out, it, it comes out a lot, that voice. <laughs> <That's>, so, <laughs> Do you, do you find yourself trying to inject, because whimsical sometimes tends towards comedy, so do you find yourself trying to make people laugh at the same time, or is it just a hint of it you throw in? That, you know, what you read is pretty much just me. I don't, I don't try, like, like the way I write is, is very organic to the point where it's just ridiculous. I uh, don't know like what the story is going to be about. I just sat down and write and just like do 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 do. Oh my goodness, she's bleeding from her eyes! Wow, you know. <laughs> so I just I go with it. I don't try to inject anything. I just kind of see. It's more like a like a ex- excavation. I just kind of see what comes out of it, if that makes sense. So, so, so it's. it's- Similar in the way there was a, a sculptor, and I wish I knew my art history better, who who said that he doesn't create a sculpture out of the marble, he just takes away the bits that aren't needed. So it, uh, maybe it's the writing equivalent of that. It, you know, uh, one of the best quotes I ever heard was one that says something about writers write to discover what their current obsessions are. And I think that's kind of it. Like, I just sit down and write and I'm like, well, obviously I'm set, upset about blah, or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so, which is tricky because when we get into novel territory where you need to plot, I am, as my writing group will attest, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, I'm so freaked out. So that's kind of where I'm at now is learning to plot the, the longer things. But yeah, I just sit down and write and see what happens. And then I'm usually pretty pretty surprised or pretty amazed or pretty, like I had no idea that's kind of where my thought process was. So that's, okay. that's always cool. 
So have you ever? Because that that I, I I really like that idea of sitting down and and just writing. It's not something I can do. It's something I used to believe I could do uh, back when I was studying creative writing. And now looking back, I really I really couldn't do it. And and now I'm very much plot 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 all the way through. So do you ever find that you end up writing yourself into a corner and you have to kind of reverse time in your writing to get yourself out of it, or do you have any tricks to to avoid that? Uh, you know, I've never written myself into a corner. I'll, what tends to happen is I'll get I'll, I'll get obsessed about something, kind of, and I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up and I'll be like, that apple orchard I mentioned earlier here, you know, just randomly because I, you know, was eating an apple that day and was like, and the apple orchard totally fits in and now it's a major plot point and that's awesome, you know, but I don't, like when I go through editing, if I find things that don't, mix and match, I'll tie them together a little bit, but usually usually I find that as I'm writing the process, if I'm obsessed enough about it, it will tie itself together for me. And okay. I'm, I'm really lucky that way so far, but you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my next novel will just... <laughs> because I no, I, it, sounds, it sounds like it's really working for you. I, I remember reading uh, Russell T. Davis, who brought back Doctor Who. A lot of my references tend to be sci-fi, because I'm hugely passionate about sci-fi. His one of his writing techniques is there's a massive book about his writing techniques and he says he likes giving characters things so pieces of paper or notebooks or pens and pencils because it gives him options later on in the story and he suddenly remembers that that character has the piece of paper from the early first four minutes of the show and then he can tie that in and it's a way of weaving things together giving people objects and it sounds similar to how you're doing it with with settings and situations and your obsessions is that they come back later on. That him doing that purposefully that that's that's brilliant. I need to start doing that. <laughs> Just yeah, you, you kind of look at what you have. It's like it's like putting together a puzzle or or baking. We were talking about baking a little bit earlier, you and I. Like looking together and seeing what you have and being like, okay, well, I've got this, 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 this. I can you know put them together and what do I come up with? Versus introducing a new character, introducing a new character, introducing a new character, and that sort of thing. I like to go back and see what's there and be like, oh my goodness, you know. But what's funny is the things that pop in are like things that we're discussing that day. Or I'm talking to, like I said, the, the apple orchard in my first novel that will possibly never come out until I rehaul, you know, overhaul it very, very much. But um, I was eating an apple that day, and I'm like, okay, well, let's give him an apple orchard. Uh. And that became, ended up being like a major symbolic place and a plot point and all this stuff. And, and that day I was just like, well, what do I have, you know? Okay, lipstick, let's talk about, you know, let's throw <laughs> lipstick in there. And later on it will, but that's how it happens. So if I'm really writing a lot, whatever, like this conversation that you and I are having, something from what this conversation will show up in my story. You know, that's just how it is. So it's, it's not necessarily direct objects. It's you kind of cherry pick themes and pieces from all aspects of your life in in a in a way yes but it's more that makes it sound more um thoughtful than the process really is to me it's much more intuitive, intuitive yeah intuitive versus logic so um like i had a book come out called nuclear lulu and Apocaly oh, apocalyptic montessa nuclear lulu a tell of atomic love which i actually <laughs> have right here oh, hello ragnarok guys there's my book coming out from Ragnarok. Um, there are a lot of things in here that are, 
I hate to say are true because this is a book about a, a serial killer that kidnaps a girl and it's a love story and a murder spree story. It's kind of Bonnie and Clyde um, and Romeo and Juliet together. But um, there are things in this book that are true. So okay. a couple of conversations I had with people that day, the day that I was writing, showed up in there. You know, okay. words that they would say, different things. Just like if you read my work and you're familiar with me at all, you, you're probably in there somewhere. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> that's almost like, like a kindness and a threat at the same time. <laughs> it, yes, <laughs> it is a very kind threat. You will show up in my novel, um, <laughs> but it, you know, can't be attributed to you. I would never divulge anything private. That sort of course. <laughs> Not like, and Mark was telling me, and I put it in the book. But just, you know, someone will say, like, oh, you know, I really, I want a purple house. Like, I was having a conversation with somebody about how I wanted a purple house that backed up against the river, and that's in, that's in the book. So just things like that. So so your books are, and your stories are very much you. That I mean, it, you, you haven't created a persona and a story. You, they are parts of your life distilled out for the reader. Yes, but very. I've never killed anybody. I um, don't. <laughs> you know, never stabbed anyone in the heart. So I want people to be careful. But but yeah, a lot of it's you know a lot of it's real. Um, there's a knife we talk about in there that's uh, the the first kill knife, and and um, that comes from when uh, when I worked at I told you I worked at a sex offender home when I was younger. One of the people at the sex offender home, one of the clients. Um, had tried to kill me with a knife and ended up handing me the knife because he couldn't kill me. He's like, I can't, I was going to slit your throat with this, but I um, I love you, I can't do it. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad, thank you, give me that knife, you know. And and um, I kept it, you know, and reclaimed it. And so that that's in the book, the guy uses the knife that somebody had tried to kill him with and things like that. So, I mean, but most authors do that, you know. Most authors, they are in there somewhere. They're just yeah. maybe not blatant about it. Because, I mean, it, it would be craziness to create characters. I, there, there's a, a phrase I was taught when I, when I did some acting, which is, you can't act like someone else. That is crazy. You react how they would. And it's, it's about reaction. So in the same way that you can't create characters out of nothing, we're not gods in that sense. It's all bits of personalities. Whether you, I guess whether you're willing to admit it or not, there's a bit of your mother in there and your best friend in there and your child yeah. in there to create different characters. We we pull from a palette of, of paint. That sounded yeah. really pretentious, didn't it? <laughs> no, no, that sounded fantastic. They're, they're golems. They're golems. They're those, you know, you take the mud that you're surrounded yeah. with and put them together and create a new being and breathe life into it. I mean... Proper Jewish it. golem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, how did you have you have you always written then you you mentioned that you used to work in a, a sex offender clinic was that how you phrase it, it was, I want to get the... it was a home it was a, a for male juvenile sex offenders for so ages 13 to 21 and I was 21 when I worked there so that was awkward and um, it was a big home and uh, it, it was one step down from lockup so they weren't okay. in lockup like like a prison. Yeah. They were, but they were watched. They had alarms that crisscrossed, you know. So they got out of bed. The alarms was down, and it was, it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. So were you writing back then? Was that was yes. writing a way of maybe? Because I imagine that's quite an intense job to have. I mean, that's I, I can't imagine myself ever doing that. So I, 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 the way I would see that is you would take on so much emotion or, or hide so much emotion 
that you'd have to get it out somehow and was writing a sort of conduit for that. Yeah, there, there are two ways I would get it out. One is writing. I would write it. And the other is I, had to, I, drive, I would drive home and there would be a big field and I would go in the field and park my car and just scream some days <laughs> and then be like, and then go home. <laughs> it was hard. It was really hard. But I actually wrote an essay about it that came out in one of the shock totems. I, I want to say shock totem three, but I can't remember. Um, where I wrote, no, I, it might be number two, where I wrote about it because we had a, a child there and, and of course I kept, you know, all, everything confidential, there's no identifying things, but there was this, this boy there that had written a, like had a journal and part of the things we needed to do was kind of keep an eye on their journals and see if they're getting scary to the point they need someone to step in and kind of do some, they had a therapist there and all these things and he had written, drawn a picture of me, like, cut open and splayed out in the parts of my body that he wanted to eat. And um, wow. that was that was <laughs> that was really hard. So I wrote an essay about that. So that helped me exercise a lot writing that essay. And it took me probably ten years after I quit there to write that essay. I, I just couldn't I couldn't do yeah. it. So but now I can talk about it, but for a while I was like I had a job. We just will not talk about the job. You know? Yeah, because that's not something you tend to get trained for in life, that kind no. of... <laughs> no. no, it was tough. I'd come home from work and my husband would be like, how was your day? And I'm like, ah. and he's like, alright, let's go to a movie. You know? Yeah. Let's yeah. have a nice meal tonight and, and go to bed early. That's, that's yeah. Blimey. <laughs> so you, you mentioned Shock Totem, which is probably yeah. worth mentioning that you, uh, I I guess you work for them. You, you, um, you, you have a role within Shock Totem. Yes. I started as a contributor. I had sent in a story and they liked it and put it in the first issue. And then I hung around the forums. It was actually the first forums I ever hung around. And then, then later they asked me if I would come on staff. So now I'm a contributing editor for staff, which is awesome. So I read the slush. And we all read the slush. Everybody does everything there. So, yeah. They uh, hired me on as a, a nonfiction writer, which is why I had that essay there. And I have another essay in there. And then kind of promoted me a little bit. So, cool. So, so do you... Do you uh... Do you, do you find you have to sort of split your time between the two, or between oh. sort of your own writing and that? And how, how, how do you manage your time? I guess that's the wider question I'm trying to ask. Oh, I, I'm really trying to work on that. Um, I do a lot. I have Shock Totem here too. Let me show you. This is our new issue. Ah, hi, Shock Totem guys. Um, yeah, I, I, I find I'm dropping the ball on one aspect or the other. Right now, I'm not reading as much slush as I would like to be. Um, but I am working on Shock Totem reviews, but I'm not writing for myself right now, but I'm doing more promo and interviews. So it's kind of like, I find for myself, what I tried to do that didn't work for me was, I'll read this a day, do this a day, and every day work a little bit on everything, and that doesn't seem to work for me. I kind of need my full concentration on something for a day, and then I can yeah. switch. So I'm still trying to figure it out. How do you do it? You always that's, seem to do it. It's pretty much the same, yeah. right? I think trying to juggle everything at once, you you like you said, you can never get your full attention on something, and you end up quickly passing things, which isn't what you want to do. Um, so yeah, I agree. You have to kind of decide, and and it's quite a painful decision sometimes to say, I'm not going to work on my writing now. I'm going to work on this instead. Uh, but I guess this is the the role of a, of, a, of a modern writer is a lot more of the promotion. In fact, all modern writers, unless you are pulling in multi-million pounds, it, it's all about self-promotion. Even 
people who get uh, advances of hundreds of thousands of pounds and dollars are finding themselves in the positions where they're doing a lot of their own promotion because the the larger publishing companies don't have the resource anymore or, or I, I'm trying to put this tactfully, maybe don't choose to put the resource in that area anymore. So I, I guess, yeah. do you find that there is, well, do you like that? Do you like the fact you promote yourself or, or would you rather just sort of hand that responsibility over to someone else? You know, I like a little bit of the self-promotion. I like, I think it, I like to learn new things. I think that's fun. I enjoy that, but it's such a time suck that I feel would be better spent writing. Like if I had to take, I know, okay, for example, um, some of the imprints of some of the larger houses, like Random House, whatnot, they have things where you can do a 50-50 split on your royalties, but you have to do your self-promotion, or you can do a, like a 75-25 split for them. You only get 25%, but they do your promotion for you. To me, it would be worth it to have them do the promotion because then that would be time that I could could write. And they would be better at it, frankly, than I would, you know. But it's fun. It's fun to learn. Like that's one of the things I do really like about the small press is kind of learning all these things. Like um, with you know picking out your own cover and and you know finding your own artist and okaying all this stuff. And that's kind of cool to have that control. But at the same time, I'm a writer. I'm not a cover picker outer. You know. Yeah. So it's um, I would rather have somebody that's really good at that do that and let me just kind of write because that's that's where I have most of my fun. So that's my that's my take on it. And I miss the mystery of um, when you used to not have your writers quite as accessible. I miss yeah. that mystery of like, oh, they're like this, and you know, they're just literary gods. And but then I also really like meeting them as well and finding out who they are and and the camaraderie that we have. So I don't know. I guess I like it all and I hate it all at the same time. <laughs> Ask me. I'm a Pisces. I can't decide. You know? <laughs> and I suppose that's it's very much. The world we're in is is the is the more connected world. The internet has allowed writers to directly interface with their audience, and is that necessarily a positive thing, or is that a positive thing in all cases, or not? And it, it's it's fascinating all these questions that that now come up. And and uh, again, it's another sci-fi uh, anecdote. But uh, Ian M. Banks has has died recently, and and he's got his culture series in sci-fi, which is amazing if no one's read it and that universe is now frozen but we live in an internet connected age and all of the information for that universe is online and anyone can find it so in theory someone else could take forward that universe and develop it but is that necessarily a good thing or not and and all of these new questions are coming up because of this new interactivity um, there, there really wasn't a question for you. That was more me just ranting and rambling for a no, bit. I, I apologize. I, I dig it. You did great. I dig it. <laughs> um, something, you know, I was in, uh, listening to an interesting conversation yesterday, taking part in a conversation about now that we know so much about these authors, say, you know, that you don't support what that author stands for, or you meet that author and the author's a jerk, do you still, you know, enjoy their work, or the author's a jerk, so I'm never going to read anything by him again, or he says this against something that I believe in or and that kind of that's kind of sad to the point like to to have work that you're not allowing yourself to read because the author's not to your taste as a as a person versus as a writer does that make sense that but does and I, I bet I know who started that conversation as well uh, but <laughs> there's actually been a couple of those a couple different authors but but yeah so it's like 
do I, you know, not experience the joy from these books, or do I support this author and being an imbecile, or, you know, and how does their personal, because I think it should be separate in a way, like, I think, you know, I should be able to read these books even if I don't like the author as a person, but then I want to support the people I like. And a lot of people, if I like them, I'll read their stuff and be like, I see them and their stuff, that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of miss not having to, it's like one more thing to worry about that we never had to worry about before. Yeah. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, the, the art is much more, especially when the creator is alive, is, is much more linked to that creator now and who they are as a person and what their beliefs are. Right. And, and again, yeah, like... is that a good thing or not? And, and if it's the... The example I think, well, there's obviously the Orson Scott card, I might as well say his name, example, and he has his beliefs, and by seeing the new movie, you're funding him, and he spends his money in a certain way, but you're supporting art, not him, but there's a, a link that is yeah. developing because of this new connection with the author, which makes it very interesting and it brings up whole new moral questions which I love I, I think these questions are wonderful and they're great to discuss tend to lead to a lot of arguments though yes yes <laughs> they do woo <laughs> so do, do, do you have any questionable beliefs <laughs> no <laughs> all Good of answer. my beliefs are just <laughs> well, whatever your audience yeah they're, they're brilliant <laughs> whatever you put the audience believes that's fine with you <laughs> Well, but all, at the same time, I support somebody being able to have their beliefs. And, you know, I don't want to, well, you have to believe what I believe. And, you you know, and that's where it gets all hazy. I, and, you yeah. know, if somebody chooses to support their own belief, I think more power to them. I don't necessarily need to support that person unless I really like their books, I guess. Yes. I don't know. See, and that's where it, I don't yeah. know. But, I, and, and, great. I loved it. I loved Ender's Game. Oh, Sorry, the... the rest of the series kind of for me, but Ender's Game is awesome. <laughs> but that's the interesting split with the Ender series: is does it get better after Ender's Game, or does it get worse? And that's where the worse. real audience split. See, I I disagree. I think Speaker for the Dead was amazing. Really? Yeah, but then I did. This is this is me talking in my fourteen, fifteen year old mindset when I first read the book. So. I haven't reread them recently, so maybe it's it's rose tinted glasses. I couldn't I couldn't say. I'm gonna have to dig out my copies now and read them. Yeah, but I will... after you read the last unicorn. After I read the last unicorn, <laughs> we we had a discussion about the poster <laughs> you can see in in the background, um, which I will be reading. <laughs> yes, I was telling him that's the original. This the original poster from like 1980, what four, whatnot. Yeah, okay. he was mocking me. You need to read it. It will, will... it will make your life better, Mark. If, if it will make my life better, I, I am all it for it. <laughs> so, um, I got a writing question. Yeah. What do you, because I, 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 I'm quite intrigued with your, your style of writing. Does that mean that you find you spend a lot of time going back editing your stories oh, no. after they've been complete? Or are they, when they're done, they're done? I do, I mean, I do edit, but they're very superficial edits. And again, as my writers group will, will attest, what I'm really trying to focus on now is getting in deep and dark and just, I need to rip this apart. I don't do that. I write it very quickly and very fast and with a lot of passion, which we were talking about earlier. And then it kind of smooths itself out. And then I go back and kind of smooth it and finesse it. I don't okay. rebuild. I don't, you know, how it is, how it turns out is pretty much how it turns out for me. You know, and I 
certainly go back and correct things, but I also I also edit as I go along. Like I'll read my last chapter to kind of get myself in yep. the voice and cadence and edit that chapter, you know, all the words and that doesn't fit or that's funny or that makes no sense. And then when I'm done with the book, all the little ticky things that I couldn't remember, like um this Stormlight is a book I just barely finished and turned into my agent a couple months ago. Um, I could not for the life of me remember what color their eyes were, and I couldn't for the life of me remember what car she drove. So, like, one time she's in, like, you know, a Buick, and later on she's in, like, a truck. And, <laughs> you know, by the end of the book, though, you know those characters so well. It's like, well, her eyes are brown, duh, and her car is, you know, a station wagon. So you yeah. can go back to all those things you couldn't keep straight before. And I know a lot of people do the notebooks with all that information. I'm not that organized. And to me, that's uh, a prison to have yeah. to, you know, go, you know, outline. To document as you're going along. Yes. No, none of that. No. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very, it's very fluid and very fast. And, and well, I can go is... back later and fix it. There is definitely a tradition in, in uh, I suppose, o older style writing of, I, I think, I can't remember the series, I think it's terrible, there was a detective series where he'd always drive his car somewhere and then you'd never know how he got back, but the car was always where he needed it. And he, it didn't. It didn't matter from the from the writer's point of view. The continuity of him having parked his car on the other side of wherever he was, and it being impossible for him to drive in the time, it didn't matter because he just needed a mode of transport for his yeah, character. Details. Yeah, details. He needs a horse that he could just whistle for, and it would just come running. That's what he needed. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe writing should be more like computer games. Cars just spawn <laughs> around the corner and then come around as you need them. Yeah, so there's some some disbelief, some suspension of disbelief, but you yeah. want some continuity, like, <laughs> like five foot or six five, or I can't remember. You know, it makes a difference. And and you mentioned, I suppose I I, I give you one 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 more question is you mentioned your writing group a couple of times. It sounds like they're quite a big part of your maybe your writing world. Is yes. is, is that something you've been involved in for a long time and and if you could yeah. tell us some more about it, that'd be amazing. Um, my writers group, we've been together for about five years now, I think, and we meet every Tuesday for three hours, and we just we just go at it. We just fight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you have to bring something to to participate, so we all bring our piece, and we know each other so well, and we're we're family at this point. We're a family. Um, we go to each other's, you know, baby showers, and you know, what, I mean, we're just family straight up. So we have that that uh, relationship where we can totally fight. So yep. this last book that I turned in, Apocalyptic Montessa, I actually wrote it without them because I wrote it so incredibly quickly. It just, it was an exorcism for me. It was just a wonderful experience. And I, I gave them like the first chapter and they were yep. like, oh, that's awesome. And they critiqued it. And they're like, so where's the next chapter? And I'm like, I already turned it in. I'm done. And they were like, oh, <laughs> They haven't read it yet, and they they will not forgive me for this. You you they cut like, them out of the loop. Oh, <laughs> I mean, there were words. There were <laughs> words. But I mean, we we work together. We um we know what each other's capable of is the thing. Yeah. So like if someone like last night we had a group, um and we we all got together and and one of them turned something in and we're like, but this doesn't sound like you. This phrase, this phrase, and this phrase, that's not you. Make it you. You know, and things that. And we can get really mean, not mean, but I mean, there's blood at this point because we know each other so well and we expect so much out of each other. 
like I turned it in a story that I thought was grand. It was called The Love Not Meant to Outlast the Butterflies. And I was like, this is brilliant. And one of, one of my writers group slammed it down and goes, you disappoint me. Why did you turn it into me? And I was like, and he told me why, and he was right. He was right. It's like, you're capable of this, and you did this. And, and so I take in what they say and rewrote it, and I, I really love it now. But, I mean, <laughs> you can't do that in a lot of groups. We have enough trust we can do that and still yeah. go hang out together afterward. But <laughs> you disappoint me. And I was like, <gasps> I'm, I'm a big fan of, of criticism. and, and Oh, are you? <laughs> I, 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 I do. I, I worry that... Um, some people don't necessarily want criticism. Some writers, maybe, and maybe it's because they've never experienced that kind of critique in a in a, a kind of loving setting. But they see it as a as an attack, and it's not meant as an attack. Everything's meant to be a way to improve. I um, although saying that, one of my lecturers at uni um, did say things such as um, uh, there was one poem. It was atrocious, and and I got picked on to to give my comments, and I was as nice as I could be about it, to which point she turned around and goes, I wouldn't have said that. I would have just burnt it. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a bit, that's a bit. <laughs> but, that's a little harsh. A little, a little harsh. But she was quite <laughs> famous for doing these things, and she was wonderful. Um, but that, that criticism is wonderful. And would you, is that something you'd recommend, people finding writing groups in their area? You know... I, I would, um, but a bad writer's group is worse than having no writer's group at all. And I've been in some pretty bad ones that... Okay. And this is, and I said this at KillerCon on a panel one year, and, and perhaps I, I shouldn't have because, man, was I taken to task for it, but I think that you need to respect who's criticizing your work. Um, yeah. If you're a stranger, and I don't know your work, and you don't know mine, and you're trying to tell me what you think my writing should be, <laughs> I don't have time for that. <laughs> because... I uh, have developed, you know, it's like we've developed our own voices. Yeah. We know what we want. You have to earn the right to critique my work. Like, I have to earn the right to critique yours. And so if someone just comes up and is like, hey, I'm 15 and I want to mentor you, and here's what I think, yeah, just, you know, jump off the bridge. Um, so, and a lot of writers group kind of stroke each other's egos and don't really help. Or you get the person in there that just, this sucks and this sucks and this sucks, but there's no reason they won't explain why. But, but my writer's group is the best thing, literally is the best thing that's ever happened to me for my writing career. I mean, I can, I can go and be like, oh, I have all these deadlines, I don't know what to do, and I will literally throw down the paper of everything I need to do, and they'll sort them and put them in order for me because they get very, in, in case you haven't noticed, writing things down and organization freaks me out. So I can like, this is what I need done, and then, you know, like, they're very good at that. So they're like, do this and this and this and this and this order. And I'm like, thank you, you know. And, so yeah. I have something to bring to the table. But a writer's group is great as long as they've earned the right to critique you, I think, and vice versa. Yeah, and I, I think maybe on top of that, there's there's different levels of criticism. There, There is a level of criticism you will take from someone you don't know. Yeah. That's, that's not the level of you need to rewrite every single part of it. It's There's, there's kind of a... It, it, I guess it, it, mar it marries with a trust, like you say, you right. trust the people in your writing group, and as you trust them more, they can say harsher things, more critical things, and as you said, even to the point of being outright and blunt and saying, this is rubbish. <laughs> you disappoint Why? me. <laughs> yeah, you disappoint me. Why have you turned this in? And I, I think that's, that's 
a wonderful place to to end this. <laughs> not not on the you disappoint me. <laughs> on the on the um the writing groups can be useful is a nice place to end this. Yeah, um, yeah no, you disappoint me, Mark. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I, I'll do better next time. Um, but thank you very much for for joining me. Um, if someone who is listening to this wanted to find out about you, where where would be a good place to go? Oh well, I'm on Facebook as Mercedes Murdoch Erdley, and I'm on. I have a blog at abrokenlaptop.com or just mercedesyardley.com. So I'm around. I'm everywhere. You, you're, yeah, every, you're, you're on the internet watching people. I am. <laughs> I see you watching you. <laughs> and, and of course, I would love it, and I'm sure Mercedes would love it if you, if you did listen to Exquisite Death, the audiobook, and, and that, that's good. I'd love it because I just like seeing people buy this, this, this wonderful audiobook. So we, we put a lot of effort into them. So that's my little promotion for Inia. <laughs> and tell them about, tell them what the, uh, the code is. It's because it's awesome. Yes, the the code is Tears of Blood. If you put that in at the checkout, you get fifteen percent off your purchase, and, and yeah. that's a reference to uh, again one of Mercedes Zora's. So, and and the cover image, which is is there, is is from Mercedes Zora's. <laughs> you got you got quite a good deal out of this audiobook, I'm noticing. <laughs> I know, I'm excited. <laughs> I was so excited. I was really, really dorkily excited. And actually, if, if speaking of that, if anyone knows a digital printer in America who will deal with one-off print runs, um, I'm looking to to sell these as art prints, um, the covers as art prints. But I need to find a. I've got somewhere lined up in the UK, somewhere lined up in Europe, but not America yet. So any recommendations for for people who will do digital print runs of of one, let me know. But awesome. thank you. Thank you very much for joining us, and we will be back next time. And to all the lovely listeners out there, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the In-Ear Entertainment up-and-coming podcast. For more podcasts and some brilliant audiobooks, go to www.inearentertainment.com.